Chapter 5, Part 2 of A History of the Philippines. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A History of the Philippines by David Barrows. Chapter 5, Part 2 The Filipino People Before the Arrival of the Spaniards. Chinese in the Philippines. Very different from the Hindu was the early influence of the Chinese. There is no evidence that, previous to the Spanish conquest, the Chinese settled or colonized in these islands at all, and yet, three hundred years before the arrival of Magellan, their trading fleets were coming here regularly, and several of the islands were well known to them. One evidence of this prehistoric trade is in the ancient Chinese jars and pottery which have been exhumed in the vicinity of Manila, but the Chinese writings themselves furnish us even better proof. About the beginning of the 13th century, though not earlier than 1205, a Chinese author named Chao Jukua wrote a work upon the maritime commerce of the Chinese people. One chapter of his work is devoted to the Philippines, which he calls the country of Mayi. According to this record, it is indicated that the Chinese were familiar with the islands of the archipelago several hundred years ago. The country of Mayi, says this interesting classic, quote, is situated to the north of Poni, that is, Berne or Borneo. About a thousand families inhabit the banks of a very winding stream. The natives clothe themselves in sheets of cloth resembling bedsheets, or cover their bodies with sarongs. The sarong is a gay-colored typical garment of the Malay. Scattered through the extensive forests are copper Buddha images, but no one knows how they got there. When the merchant or Chinese ships arrive at this port, they anchor in front of an open place which serves as a market where they trade in the produce of the country. When a ship enters this port, the captain makes presents of white umbrellas to the mandarins. The merchants are obliged to pay this tribute in order to obtain the goodwill of these lords. The products of the country are stated to be yellow wax, cotton, pearls, shells, betel nuts, and yuta cloth, which was perhaps one of the several cloths still woven of abaca or piña. The articles imported by the Chinese were quote, porcelain, trade gold, objects of lead, glass beads of all colors, iron cooking pans, and iron needles. Close quote. Very curious is the accurate mention in this Chinese writing of the negritos, the first of all accounts to be made of the little blacks. Quote, in the interior of the valleys lives a race called Haitan. They are of low stature, have round eyes of a yellow color, curly hair, and their teeth are easily seen between their lips. That is probably not darkened by betel chewing or artificial stains. They build their nests in the treetops, and in each nest lives a family which consists of from three to five persons. They travel about in the densest thickets of the forest, and, without being seen themselves, shoot their arrows at the passerby. For this reason they are much feared. 
If the Chinese trader throws them a small porcelain bowl, they will stoop down to catch it and then run away with it, shouting joyfully. Close quote. These junks also visited the more central islands, but here traffic was conducted on the ships, the Chinese on arrival announcing themselves by beating gongs and the Filipinos coming out to them in their light boats. Among other things here offered by the natives for trade are mentioned, quote, strange cloth, close quote, perhaps cinnamé or juicy, and fine mats. This Chinese trade continued probably quite steadily until the arrival of the Spaniards. Then it received an enormous increase through the demand for Chinese food products and wares made by the Spaniards, and because of the value of the Mexican silver which the Spaniards offered in exchange. The spread of Mohammedanism, and especially the foundation of the colony of Borneo, brought the Philippines into important commercial relations with the Malays of the South. Previous to the arrival of the Spaniards, these relations seem to have been friendly and peaceful. The Mohammedan Malays sent their praos northward for purposes of trade, and they were settling in the North Philippines as they had on Mindanao. When Legasapi's fleet, soon after its arrival, lay near the island of Bohol, the Maestro de Campo had a hard fight with a Moro vessel, which had come up for trade, and took six prisoners. One of them, whom they call the pilot, was closely interrogated by the Adelantado, and some interesting information obtained, which is recorded by Padre San Agustin. Legaspi had a Malay slave interpreter with him, and San Agustin says that Padre Urdaneta quote, knew well the Malayan language. Close quote. The pilot said that quote, those of Borneo brought for trade with the Filipinos copper and tin, which was brought to Borneo from China, porcelain dishes and bells made in their fashion, very different from those that the Christians use, and benzoin, and colored blankets from India, and cooking pans made in China and that they also brought iron lances very well tempered and knives and other articles of barter and that in exchange for them they took away from the islands gold slaves wax and a kind of small seashell which they call sihuyes and which passes for money in the kingdom of siam and other places and also they carry off some white cloths of which there is a great quantity in the islands Utuan, on the north coast of Mindanao, seems to have been quite a trading place resorted to by vessels from all quarters. This country, like many other parts of the Philippines, has produced from time immemorial small quantities of gold, and all the early voyagers speak of the gold earrings and ornaments of the natives. Utuan also produced sugar cane and was a trading port for slaves. This unfortunate traffic in human life seems to have been not unusual, but was doubtless stimulated by the commerce with Borneo. Junks from Siam trading with Cebu were also encountered by the Spaniards. This intercourse and traffic had acquainted the Filipinos with many of the accessories of civilized life long before the arrival of the Spaniards. Their chiefs and datos dressed in silks and maintained some splendor of surroundings, Nearly the whole population of the tribes of the coast 
wrote and communicated by means of syllabary vessels from luzon traded as far south as mindanao and borneo although the products of asia proper came through the fleets of foreigners and perhaps what indicates more clearly than anything else the advance the filipinos were making through their communication with outside people is their use of firearms of this point there is no question everywhere in the vicinity of manila on lubang in pampanga at cainta and laguna de bay the spaniards encountered forts mounting small cannon or lantacas the filipinos seem to have understood moreover the arts of casting cannon and of making powder the first gun factory established by the spaniards was in charge of a filipino from pampanga the weakest side of the culture of the early filipinos was their political and social organization and they were weak here in precisely the same way that the now uncivilized peoples of northern luzon are still weak their state did not embrace the whole tribe or nation it included simply the community outside of the settlers in one immediate vicinity all others were enemies or at most foreigners there were in the philippines no large states nor even great rajas and sultans such as were found in the malay archipelago but instead on every island were a multitude of small communities each independent of the other and frequently waging war the unit of their political order was a little cluster of houses from thirty to one hundred families called a barangay and which still exists in the philippines as the barrio at the head of each barangay was a chief known as the dato a word no longer used in the northern philippines though it persists among the moros of mindanao the powers of these datos within their small areas appear to have been great and they were treated with utmost respect by the people the barangays were grouped together in tiny federations including about as much territory as the present towns whose affairs were conducted by the chiefs or datos although sometimes they seem to have all been in obedience to a single chief known in some places as the hari at other times by the hindu word raja or the mohammedan term sultan sometimes the power of one of these rajas seems to have extended over the whole of the small island but usually their kingdoms embraced only a few miles the spaniards in enforcing their authority through the islands took away the real power from the datos grouping the barangays into towns or pueblos but making the datos cebesos de barrio or gobernadorosios something of the old distinction between the dato or principal and the common man may be still represented in the gente ilustrada or the more wealthy educated and influential class found in each town and the gente baja or the poor and uneducated beneath the datos according to chirino and morga were the three classes of filipinos the free persons or maharlika who paid no tribute to the dato but who accompanied him to war rode his boat when he went on a journey and attended him in his house this class is called by morga timauas then 
there was a very large class, who appear to have been freedmen or liberated slaves, who had acquired their own homes and lived with their families, but who owed the dato or maharlika heavy debts of service, to sow and harvest in his rice fields, to tend his fish traps, to row his canoe, to build his house, to attend him when he had guests, and to perform any other duties that the chief might command. These semi-free were called alaping namamahai, and their condition of bondage descended to their children. Beneath these existed a class of slaves. These were the sigigiliris, and they were numerous. Their slavery arose in several ways. Some were those who, as children, had been captured in war and their lives spared. Some became slaves by selling their freedom in times of hunger, but most of them became slaves through debt, which descended from father to son. The sum of five or six pesos was enough in some cases to deprive a man of his freedom. These slaves were absolutely owned by their lord, who could theoretically sell them like cattle, but, in spite of its bad possibilities, this Filipino slavery was ordinarily not of a cruel or distressing nature. The slaves frequently associated on kindly relations with their masters and were not overworked. This form of slavery still persists in the Philippines among the Moros of Mindanao and Cholo. Children of slaves inherited their parents' slavery. If one parent was free and the other slave, the first, third, and fifth children were free and the second, fourth, and sixth slaves. This whole matter of inheritance of slavery was curiously worked out in minute details. Community feeling was very strong within the barangay. A man could not leave his own barangay for life in another without the consent of the community and the payment of money. If a man of one barrio married a woman of another, their children were divided between two barangays. The barangay was responsible for the good conduct of its members, and if one of them suffered an injury from a man outside, the whole barangay had to be appeased. Disputes and wrongs between members of the same barangay were referred to a number of old men, who decided the matter in accordance with the customs of the tribe, which were handed down by tradition. The Filipinos, on the arrival of the Spaniards, were fetish worshippers, but they had one spirit whom they believed was the greatest of all and the creator or maker of things. The Tagalog called this deity Bathala, the Bisaya Laon, and the Ilocano Kabunian. They also worshipped the spirits of their ancestors, which were represented by small images called Anitos. Fetishes, which are any objects believed to possess miraculous power, were common among the people, and idols or images were worshipped. Pigafetta describes some idols which he saw in Cebu, and Chirino tells us that, within the memory of Filipinos whom he knew, they had idols of stone, wood, bone, or the tooth of a crocodile, and that there were some of gold. They also reverenced animals and birds, especially the crocodile, the raven, and a mythical bird of blue or yellow color, which was called by the name of their deity, Bathala. They had no temples or public places of worship, but each one had his anitos in his own house, 
and performed his sacrifices and acts of worship there. As sacrifices, they killed pigs or chickens, and made such occasions times of feasting, songs, and drunkenness. The life of the Filipino was undoubtedly filled with superstitious fears and imaginings. The Mohammedans outside of southern Mindanao and Holo had settled in the vicinity of Manila Bay on the Mindoro, Lubang, and adjacent coasts of the Luzon. The spread of Mohammedanism was stopped by the Spaniards, although it is narrated that for a long time many of those living on the shores of Manila Bay refused to eat pork, which is forbidden by the Koran, and practiced the rite of circumcision. As late as 1583, Bishop Salazar, in writing to the king of affairs in the Philippines, says the Moros had preached the law of Mohammed to great numbers in these islands, and by this preaching many of the Gentiles had become Mohammedans. And further he adds, quote, Those who have received this foul law guard it with much persistence, and there is great difficulty in making them abandon it, and with cause too, for the reasons they give to our shame and confusion are that they were better treated by the preachers of Mohammed than they have been treated by the preachers of Christ. The material surroundings of the Filipino before the arrival of the Spaniards were in nearly every way quite as they are today. The center of population of each town today, with its great church, tribunal, stores, and houses of stone and wood, is certainly in marked contrast, but the appearance of a barrio, a little distance from the center, is today probably much as it was then. Then, as now, the bulk of the people lived in humble houses of bamboo and nipa raised on poles above the dampness of the soil. Then, as now, the food was largely rice, and the excellent fish which abound in river and sea. There were on the water the same familiar bancas and fish corals, and on land the rice fields and coconut groves. The Filipinos had then most of the present domesticated animals, dogs, cats, goats, chickens, and pigs, and perhaps in Luzon the domesticated buffalo, although this animal was widely introduced into the Philippines from China after the Spanish conquest. Horses came with the Spaniards, and their numbers were increased by the bringing in of Chinese mares, whose importation is frequently mentioned. The Spaniards introduced also the cultivation of tobacco, coffee, and cocoa, and perhaps also the native corn of America, the maize, although Pigafetta says they found it already growing in the Bisayas. The Filipino has been affected by these centuries of Spanish sovereignty far less on his material side than he has on the spiritual, and it is mainly in the deepening and elevating of his emotional and mental life, and not in the bettering of his material condition, that advance has been made. End of chapter 5